Good morning. It's good to see every one of you. I'll be honest, it's a, it's a little weird. This is the first time in over a year I've actually preached to a live audience inside the building. Um, so yeah, it's kind of strange to be here inside the building for me once again. Um, and you might actually hear me say, Holy Communion, right? For all you, yeah, yeah. That got way more play than I ever thought it would. And if you're lost right now, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's just one of those COVID moments. Yeah, so I'm Daniel. I'm one of the elders and pastors here at Aletheia, and it's good to see every one of you. I know there are some graduates in the room. Where are they? Where are the official graduates from this week? Yes, yes, yes. Congratulations to you guys. Congratulations. I'll say the same thing that God said to his people when he was sending them off into exile, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord's plans to give you a hope and a future. So for the next 70 years into the workforce, you go into exile. Have fun. All right. So I want to begin this morning uh, wrapping up our little mini series that we've had on values here at Aletheia Church. We have six values. We're only covering four in our little mini series. So far, Pastor Kevin has covered God's glory, being the everyday church, and gospel community. And today, I get to close it out by talking about the Bible. And I want to just take a moment, and I want you to just kind of answer some questions, think through some things, be honest with yourself if I ask you these questions, because I think it will help kind of set the tone and put you in the right frame of mind as we dive into the Bible and what the Bible says about the Bible this morning. And the, the big basic question I want to ask you this morning is, what do you think about all the words that are contained between these two hard covers this morning. For you, are these just merely words on a page, just like any other book that's ever been written throughout human history? Uh, do you believe that, hey, you know, the Bible is great and wonderful because it's got some great stories in it that were really fun to read, that are really interesting from a psychological or sociological perspective? And maybe you think that some of these stories are true and maybe some of them are not and some you're not sure about because, Pastor Daniel, if I'm honest with you, that whole talking snake thing is a little hard to, to think about sometimes and thinking about God separating an entire sea so some people could walk through it, but yet as they got through it, another group of people could be drowned in it. I mean, that's just kind of a hard story to fathom um, and imagine. There are stories about people being whisked away and they never died in this life. I mean, those are some great stories, but I'm not quite convinced that, that they are true and that, that they really have great meaning and impact in, in my life. Might it be that you only believe that the Bible contains some good moral teachings because there is some ancient wisdom literature to which to guide our thinking and to guide our the processes and how we move through life. Maybe you think that Jesus was just a good moral teacher who like, yeah, the golden rule is a great idea. Idea Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's some great moral teaching. But at the end of the day, the, the question that we're going to press upon you that I really want you to leave here with today, answering hopefully in the affirmative is this. Do you believe that this book is the divinely inspired and errant word of God? For we here at Aletheia Church, we have driven our stake into the ground and said, we believe these words, these 66 letters and proverbs and 
historical narratives and teachings of Jesus, all of these combined together, we believe are the divinely inspired and errant Word of God that has great impact for us and for our lives and for humanity as a whole. And so what I want to say to you that whatever you believe at this moment greatly matters about the Word of God because it affects you not only today, but it will also, as we will see in our passages today, it affects the generations to come. What you believe about the Word of God is not just for you, but it's for the people around you and for the people who will come after you. And so I want to read to you what we have adopted as our official position on the Bible. This is not exhausted by any means, but attempted to be a summary to, to just briefly speak about what we hold as the Word of God here at Aletheia Church. The Bible is the divinely inspired and inerrant Word of God. It is living and active, sharper than any sword, and cuts us to our core. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It is also useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, and it equips us for every good work. God had men write this book so that it would be a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path as we go through life. In the Bible, we find who God is and what He is like. We see that He has revealed Himself to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We also find guidance and instruction in how to carry out the practical activities of our lives, such as parenting, spending money, loving our spouse, etc. Not only has God left us His Word, but He has also given us His Spirit to illuminate His Word, bringing about transformation in our hearts and lives. And so with that being said, I just want to take a moment uh, to pray um, and to thank God for giving us His Word and for illuminating His Word to us. Father, may we never take it for granted that You have been faithful throughout the millennia to deliver Your Word to Your people. But yet, not all of Your people have access to Your Word the way that we do. Father, I pray that we would sit in remembrance today. That we would sit here and be in awe of how faithful you are to your people to deliver to us instruction and guidance in our lives. But Father, like there are so many people who have never had their eyes and their heart and their, their minds illumined to what your word truly says. And so Father, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who takes your word and allows us to see your word for what it truly is, the word of God. Father, for those who aren't yet convinced and for those who can't yet see, we pray that today the Holy Spirit would work a miracle in their lives and remove the veil, that they would see the word of God as it is, your word delivered to your people. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to talk, we're going to move through four passages today, giving you a brief overview of what the Bible says about itself and how we can apply it to our lives. And so the very first one that I've chosen today is one you should be familiar with if you've been with us any time recently, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16-17. through 17. We just went through the books of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. 
this will be a brief recap. If you are writing a title or a bullet point here, we are going to say the Bible is the very words of God, okay? Scripture says about itself, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if you could just leave those verses up there because I'm going to walk them through there. We're going to break this down really fast. All Scripture. Now we got to remember, Paul here is talking to his young protege, Timothy. So when Paul tells Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out, what Scripture is that Paul is referring to? The Old Testament, okay? He is specifically referring to the Old Testament. And so he's telling the early church that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It is the very breath of God Himself delivered to us. And, and I want you to think about this and just kind of, I was in awe when I looked at this this week, that if you were to look at our, the version of the Bible we use, the English Standard Version, and you were to go to a concordance and just type in, thus says the Lord, you would find that exact phrase 417 times in the Old Testament. Now, that's not counting on all, all the other variations like God said, the Lord said, but just thus says the Lord is 417 times. So either directly to a person or directly to a group of people, we have at least 417 recordings of exact words that God spoke to someone or to a group of people. And it is just as relevant to us today as it was to the one that it was spoken to and to Timothy in his time in the first century A.D. So we should, we should make sure that we do not neglect the Old Testament because it is the very Word of God. And we are told that all these great and wonderful things that it does for us. But before we get there, let me also say, in case you're saying, well, what, where does this leave us in the New Testament, right? Where does this leave us with those being the very words of God? And should we count the New Testament as Scripture as well? Because the New Testament itself was not officially canonized until about 200 years after uh, the death of Christ. But you need to also understand that Scripture testifies about itself that the apostles knew and understood that they were writing the Scriptures for the church. Because if you will look in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, we see Peter write to the church, and count the patience of our Lord as, sal as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, yes and amen, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Okay, so the apostles knew and understood that they were writing new scriptures for the church on the other side of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So we can be absolutely confident that what we have here in the Word of God today, in our Bible, is the complete scripture delivered to us. Now, notice what Paul tells Timothy. He says, this scripture that is breathed out by God, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, I just want to concentrate on this word profit because I'm sure there's some 
business people in here. If not, you will be in some type of business in one way, shape, or form. And me as a business person myself, we often say that cash flow is the oxygen of business, all right? That me as a businessman, I send out cash out of my pocket to purchase goods, and then I take those purchased goods, and then I try to resell them to other people. And so I have to have this constant flow of cash going out to buy more goods and cash coming in, hopefully in a greater amount than is going out each and every time, so that the system that I am building does not die, right? So that there is this oxygen breathing life into the system. That's why in all of this COVID craziness, they keep printing money, right? Because they understand that cash is the oxygen of the economy. And right now it is burning red hot, okay? So you need to understand that's how this works. So Paul here is using a business term because he wants you to see even that in your life, this is how the scriptures work. There needs to be this inflow of the word of God into our lives, but in order for it to actually be oxygen, right? You actually then have to, because we don't just hold our breath. We don't just breathe in oxygen and hold it in. We have to let it out. We have to do it in our doing. We have to take what we receive from the word of God and move it into the doing of our lives. So the word of God for us is that it teaches us. Well, it not only teaches us, but it reproves us. If you want to know what that word means, just think reprove means disapprove. It tells us what God disapproves of. It also corrects us. So it sets right what it is that we are doing that God disapproves of. And ultimately, it trains us toward righteousness. It trains us toward being conformed to the image of Jesus, toward becoming like God, by doing right in our lives rather than doing wrong. And the result of this, so that's the process, and then the result of this is for the purpose of being complete and equipped for every good work. And you understand this in your lives because every, everyone in here has been to schooling on some level, whether it's elementary school or middle school or high school or technical school or junior college or major university, your master's degree, your PhD, whatever it is, on-the-job training, all the training and the schooling that we get has a particular end in mind. And what we want you to know and what the Bible wants you to know and what God wants you to know is the purpose of Him breathing out these scriptures to us is for the sake of training us that we would do works of righteousness in the world. That we would not only be listeners and hearers of God's word, but that we would be doers of God's word as well. Secondly, the second thing that we want you to know about God's Word, we believe that this book has supernatural power. We believe that this book, when combined with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit brings it to life, it brings about and it has supernatural power to do great and wonderful things in the lives of its hearers. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Have you ever had one of those moments 
where you're just reading the Word of God and it just cuts you all the way to your core. It cuts beyond everything going on in your life and it just cuts you to the deepest part of your soul. But yet it's this, this cut that may hurt initially, but yet you, you know that the immediate cut, like in the hands of a brilliant surgeon, is bringing healing to you in the exact same moment that it cuts you to your core. And if you're like, oh, maybe, I don't know. At some point, it had to, right? At some point in your conversion, you became very aware of some sin in your life, right? You became aware of like, oh, there is something really wrong. I have really sinned against this holy God, and I need to confess, and I need to repent of this sin, and I need to turn to Jesus in order to have my sins forgiven. And that is how it generally works for us. We have these big moments in our life that when we are coming to Christ, God reveals these big, huge sins in our life, right? And usually they're around the idea of, you know, sexual immorality or drunkenness or stealing. I mean, there's, we, we get all these things in our lives. But as you walk with Jesus more and more and more, hopefully you don't have these as big of things in your life. But what you find happening is you find the Word of God as you read it, it starts exposing all these little nooks and crannies, right? These little bitty things that nobody else knows, that nobody else sees, but yet the Word of God just flays you wide open, exposing your sin to yourself. And I, I had one of those, those moments um, this last week. I was, I, I was dealing with a particular pressure-packed situation um, in my, in my business, and um, I, I was really not dealing well with the pressure of it uh, this week. And uh, I was really on edge, and I was really edgy, and I was really short with the kids for an entire day, um, raising my voice more than I should, just not dealing with them in appropriate ways as a father should. And um, the next morning I get up, and I, I'm reading, my, my daily habit is to, you know, with my French press sitting beside me, um, because uh, for me, the, the morning Holy Trinity is God, the Bible, and a cup of coffee, okay? And I'm sitting there, and I, I, my habit is to read one psalm a day, one proverb a day, and then whatever passage of section of Scripture I'm in. And I was reading in the Proverbs, and, uh, and it was about God being the tester of hearts. And I'm reading this about God being the tester of hearts, and it was just kind of like, yeah, you didn't do too well yesterday, did you? And uh, I was like, no, I didn't. Because we often say that God gives you people, pressures, and problems in your life to see how you're going to deal with those things. And uh, I, I had failed pretty bad. But, and so later that day, I was talking to my kids. We were on the dinner table, and I said, hey, kids, I want to I confess to you that, um, that, that I just didn't handle this yesterday. And I'm sorry for being short with you and all these things. Now, what was surpri most surprising to me was my children said, oh, we didn't even notice. All right. Now, I don't know if that says about me and how I interact with my children, so we'll have to go examine that on a, at, at a different level. But, 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 but if that's one of those things. That's what the Word of God does to us, right? Like no one else even notices, but yet you read it and it exposes you wide open and you can't get it out of your conscience. You can't get it off your mind. And you're just running it around and around and around and around. And... And nobody else even notices it. And see, that's the supernatural 
moments that happen in Scripture that when we read this Word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, God just lays us wide open and no one else in the world may even know what's going on with us. And that's why we need to regularly encounter the Word of God because God's Word and God's Spirit, when it intersects our lives at the right moment, does a supernatural work in us. And so that's why we always want to encourage you to read the Word of God. Now, some of you, as you sit here today, and we've all been here in this moment, right? You're like, man, Daniel, this seems really scary. And so I kind of, the subpoint here was why we need it, but might be afraid to read it, okay? Because let's be honest, like we know the Word of God does this, but yet when we're in sin, like when we're in like open, willful rebellion, the last thing we want, we want to do is read the Word of God. Why? Because we hate that little word called conviction, right? It's like, well, no, I don't want conviction. I want to, you know, watch Netflix and not think about all the problems and all the issues going on in my life. Because when I engage with the Word of God, it engages me, you know. Now, when I read the Word of God, it reads me as well. And so I just want to remind you of Proverbs 27, 13. I, I, this is such a, a verse of comfort to me and I hope to you. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Let me just give you something very practical, and I'm sure you've experienced this growing up, and if you've had children, you, you know this all too well. Like when my children are in the midst of just going at one another, and they're actively sinning against one another, or they're actively sinning against me, um, they're likely to get a response uh, that they don't like very much, nor do I like myself very much as well. Or if one of my, if I found out one of my children has lied or been deceitful for me, like they know the hammer is coming. They know it is going to be a big issue. But here's what I can tell you. I think I'm pretty sure. I try, I try to think back over all 15 years of parenting four different kids up to this point. I can't ever remember a time in my parenting where any of my children came up to me and said, Dad, I, I need to tell you, I, like I messed up, I sinned, I did something wrong. I don't ever remember a time that I actually got mad at my kids when they did that. It's always met with mercy. And that is, I, I think, I'm a, that's exactly how God deals with us. Is that when, when we are just being openly and willfully rebellious and, and just doing those things, we sometimes get a righteous, angry response from God, and rightfully so. But yet when we go to God and just say, God, like, I screwed up. Like, I messed up. Here is my big, fat sin. Here is my small, little sin. Whatever sin you are in the midst of, you need to know the Bible says you will always find mercy. You will not find God pointing in you and yelling at you and screaming with you and I told you so and putting His thumb down on you. If you want to obtain mercy from God, just simply go and confess your sin. Because in your confessing, when you confess and when you forsake, now notice those, it's confess and forsake, okay? It's not just, hey God, I'm sorry, right? Okay, that's what the Bible calls worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow, okay? Worldly sorrow is when someone just says, hey, I'm sorry, and then just keeps doing the same thing. The Bible says that ain't worth a toot, all right? And I'm going to tell you it ain't worth a toot, all right? But 
when you confess and when you forsake, then you will always receive mercy. The third thing, all right? I'll give you two passages out of the New Testament. Now we're going to go on the flip side to the beginning of the book, more like the middle probably in the Old Testament here, the first passage, Psalm 19, 7 through 11. If you don't have these verses like memorized, if you don't have these as a regular part of your life, you need these verses. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. All right, I, this, was, um, this, is, this is like a, a marketing verse for the Bible and for God's word and for God's instruction. Now, it was really weird. I would have never seen this before, but if you guys don't know, like recently, my family, we, we launched our own brand on Amazon. And so we've been doing this on Amazon. It's one of several businesses that we have. And as I was reading this, I was like, David wrote this just like they teach us to write our listings on Amazon. Okay. So how many of you guys have ever been on Amazon? All right, I, I figure like, yeah, you're not like American or alive if you haven't been on Amazon, all right? So you know on Amazon, there's, there's two basic things, right? There's you click on a product and you get all the pictures on the product, okay? That's what we call your image stack in the business. Now, next to that, we have what is your composite listing, the bullet points that has all the data and the information, the things we want you to read, but you probably never actually read, right? Because you just look at the photos. But here's what you need to know about those bullet points. When I was going through coaching and getting training on how to do this, they said, you know, one of the mistakes people make is they just list the features of the product. But you don't want to just list the features of the product. You want to first list the benefits of the product, and then you want to list the features that it has. So let's just take something basic and simple, and I don't sell this product, but let's just take pillow, right? I mean, if you've ever been on TV or any kind of commercial, you've seen a commercial for a pillow, right? And you will see, what, what does the pillow tell you? Come on, when somebody's trying to sell you a pillow, what are they telling you? You're going to sleep great. What else are they going to tell you? No snoring. It's comfortable. What else? It's going to keep you cool. No more night sweating. Okay, what else? One more. It's healthy for your body. No more neck cramps, right? So they're going to tell you these are all the benefits of the pillow. So but what are the features of this pillow? What are they going to be like? Size and shape, it's going to be organic cotton, you know, it's going to be made in the USA. It's going to tell you all, it's going to be long-lasting and durable, right? That's how, that's how we market a product. Now, I want you to look at this passage here. This is David marketing the Word of God to you, telling you its features and its benefits. The features of the Word of God are this, perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, righteous. The benefits for you as a follower of God, reading the Word of God, being instructed by the law are this. 
It revives the soul. It makes one wise. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It promises us a great reward. Now, as you sit here today, do you need reviving of your soul? If not, the next time you need reviving in your soul, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to Netflix? Are you going to go to Prime Video or Disney Plus? Will it promise to revive your soul? The Word of God promises to revive your soul. What about making one wise? How many of you have some big decisions upcoming in this life? If you don't have one now, you've got one coming. And wisdom is not just knowing something. It's being able to apply what you know and to make the right choice. If you want wisdom to make the important choices in life, you need to be instructed by the law of God. What about rejoicing of the heart? Does anybody in here not want more, want more joy in their life? Right? Aren't we always looking for more joy? We, 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 I think we sometimes settle for the saccharine substitute of, of happiness. But yet the Bible wants us, tells us that God wants us to be happy, but there's something even deeper. There's joy to be found, even in the midst of our persecutions. Because the Bible says we are to rejoice in our trials. Joy can even be found in our trials, but it's only by knowing and understanding and reading the Word of God. It enlightens the eyes. It gives you clarity to see things that you couldn't see before. It gives you clarity to see where you should go. And not only that, it promises us a great reward. Not just in the life to come, but in this life as well. Because look, do you not, would you not find it to be a great reward to have your soul continually revived? To know that every decision you make is with the wisdom of God as you take steps forward in this life? That your heart could be full of joy in any and all circumstances, that you would have clarity in being able to see where you should go and what choice you should make, there is a promise of a great reward from Scripture if we will be instructed by the Word of God. And David says, this is so awesome, so wonderful, so outstanding. You should desire the law of God more than gold and honey. All right? So whatever you desire in this life, these would have been the two most desirable things in David's world, right? Chunks of gold, pieces of gold, bars of gold. Gold was the standard for wealth and honey the standard for just sweetness. I mean, you've got to imagine if you've never had any of the stuff that we've ever had, if, you've, if, if honey was the only sweet thing you ever had, I mean, honey is incredibly sweet. And David says... Better than all those things, better than all the material wealth, better than all the sensuality of taste, God's word is greater than that. And so here's the question you've got to ask yourself is, do you desire the word of God in this way? Do you find your heart continually longing for and striving and desiring the word of God in this way? And if not, why not? Like, what, what, what do you not see about the Word of God that David saw about the Word of God? What do you not 
see about the Word of God that the Word of God declares about itself. We need to realize that the Word of God is greater than anything else in this life. And when we don't read the Word of God and understand the Word of God and have our lives directed by the Word of God, the only person that we're hurting is ourselves and those around us. It's to our own detriment. And so if you want to see more joy, if you want to see better decision-making, if you want to see with clearer eyes, if you want a great reward in this life and in the life to come, it is by investing time and understanding and discerning the Word of God, the complete thing from Genesis 1-1 to the very end of Revelation chapter 20. is knowing and understanding and seeing God as He reveals Himself and as He instructs us and guides us in this life. And so that's why I want to conclude with this last fourth bullet point in this last section of Scripture. Uh, and this is one you probably never expected anyone to use in a sermon on the Bible. Um, the, top, the heading will be Listen and Do, okay? So if we're going to get everything out of the Bible that God has for us, we need to listen and do. So we're going to read Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And now get it remember, so this is so Deuteronomy is Deutero second Namas law, the second giving of the law. This is kind of the retelling of the story of Israel out coming out of the land of slavery. And so Moses is talking and recapping everything and telling everyone everything. And so here in Deuteronomy chapter 4, 1 through 9, he is speaking to the children of Israel and be very careful to what he's listen to what he says. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him. And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. So, verse 1, listen and do 
so that you may live, go, and take possession of everything that God has for you. Throughout the Scripture, one of the greatest reprimands by the prophets, by Jesus, by the apostles, is that people are hearers of the Word only and not doers of the Word. I love you. I am so glad you are here today. But if all you do today is listen to me talk, and go out of here and do nothing about it. This has not been profitable for you at all. You have not gotten out of this what God intended for you to get out of this. Because just to hear the Word of God is not sufficient. And we all understand this. I, I can almost guarantee at some point in your life, somebody has said, most likely your parent, after telling you to clean your room or to take out the garbage or sweep the floor or mop the floor, do some kind of task, and you ignored them and you continued playing video games or talking on the phone or texting, whatever you did, you heard from them, hey, did you hear me? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, 100 times a day in my house. And what does that mean? I know you heard me, but because you haven't done anything, you haven't actually heard me, right? And this is repeated in the Word of God over and over and over. Don't be hearers only. Now listen to what James, the half-brother of Jesus, says in, verses, in chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So if all you do is hear this today and do nothing about it, you have deceived yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Over and over and over, we are warned in Scripture to not be hearers only, but to be doers of the Word. And, and hopefully, I, I want to see if I can entice you a little bit with not crossing over into the line that you think I'm talking about a prosperity gospel, okay? Because you have to always remember, any time we, we hear things in life and we reject it, a lot of times we have the tendency to go way too far in our overreaction against it, right? And so we have this thing called the prosperity gospel that's out there, Joel Osteen, Benny Hinn, basically basically anybody who's on TBN, okay? And if you don't know what TBN is, God has spared you and saved you, okay? But basically, if you're like watching Christian TV stuff, Joyce Meyer, like all those people, they are prosperity gospel preachers saying, if you do all these things, God is going to make your life healthy, wealthy, and wise. Now, what I will say is, there's a really good chance that will probably happen to you, but it's not the promise that if you follow Jesus, your life is going to be carefree and worry-free, you know, daffodils and roses and all great and wonderful with no problems, right? Because Jesus tells you, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. But sometimes we get stuck as Christians 
one way or the other, yet we see throughout Scripture over and over and over, God makes these incredible promises of wealth and of prosperity and of good fortune, of giving you things so that you can use them for the kingdom of God in this life. So we have to hold both of these in tension, but you need to understand, you, you need to know this about your life, and, and you're young, so I really hope you don't just listen to me today and you do this. And for you, those of you who are not so young, testify to these young ones and help them understand this as much as possible. There are all of these things things out in front of you. There is life out in front of everyone. And there are things that God has for you to go and to take possession of. But because of the choices that you will make in this life and not listening and doing what the Word of God says, there will be things that you do not get to take possession of because you did not listen and do what the Word of God says. And the, the, where that squarely falls is on us. Because you need to understand the context of how this is being written. Remember, Israel, God brings Israel out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, the great Red Sea rescue. Do you know how long the journey was from Egypt to the promised land on foot? 11 days. How long did it take them to get there? 40 years. Why? Because they did not listen and because they did not do. And the original generation didn't even get to go. It was only the second generation that got to go after the 40 years had passed. But the promised land was theirs for the taking. God has said it's yours. All you have to do is listen and obey. And all of this, the land flowing with milk and honey is yours. But because they did not listen and do, they did not get to take possession of what God was ready to give them. And so you need to know that in your moments of defiance and disobedience and neglect of the Word of God, you are the one who is losing out on taking possession of what God has for you. And I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is in the form of, of work and spouse and children, and grandchildren, and I don't know what that is for you, but I can tell you God has it for you to take possession of if you will listen and do. And the warning is, and we have to be so careful of this warning, because it says in verse 2, do not add or take away from the Word of God. And you need to know the original question that got Adam and Eve in trouble is when Satan said to them, did God really say? For the rest of your life, you are going to hear this question from those around you and from the media, from your smartphones, your televisions. Did God really say this was a sin? Did God really say that was wrong? And it's going to come in different forms throughout your entire life. What it is today, it may not be tomorrow. Understand, there is a great warning, great warnings in Scripture to not take away or add to the Word of God. In verses 3 and 4, Moses tells them, Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. 
For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. So you, you've got to understand the context of this passage. Now, this story takes place in Numbers 23, 24, and 25. And it's a brutal ending to this story. I'll just go and tell you, it, it does not end well for those who are talking about it. But you need to know, this story is referenced many times as an example. Okay? It is referenced in Joshua 22. It is referenced in Hosea chapter 9 and in Psalm 106, and Paul even references it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which we'll get there in just a second. But, but I want you to understand, you've got to remember, okay, so there was this original sin where they don't, they don't listen and do, so 11 days takes 40 years. Now they're at the very end of the 40-year time, the generations died off, they're finally getting ready to go into the promised land, now it's time, we're going again, and they come into the group of Midianites, and it says many of the people were led away into the worship of idols and into sexual immorality. Now, again, so, so you got to think, you know, sometimes we think, oh, if we just have enough time, it'll all get better, right? I mean, so think, Great Red Sea Rescue, you've seen God do all this stuff. Now, you've had 40 years to see God provide for you. Let me say, I have been to the wilderness, okay? I have stood in it. There is nothing green in the wilderness at all, all right? It is desert, sand, hot, miserable place to be. And for 40 years, God has fed you day and night supernaturally. I think these people are without excuse, right? And so the first time they run into somebody who's not them, a big chunk of them go away <laughs> into idol worship and into sexual immorality. Why? Because they didn't listen and do what God told them to do. And because of that, 23,000 of them were struck dead. You've got to understand, Moses is reminding them there's grave consequences for you when you do not listen and do what the Word of God commands. Just as much as there is incredible blessing by God in our obedience in this life, there can also be incredible consequences for disobedience in our life. And this is throughout the Scriptures from the beginning to the very end. In verse 5, he says, see, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. He restates the benefits for them of everything that God has for them, that there is this land waiting on them if they would simply continue to listen and do what God has for them. But notice this. Notice that the intention of listening and doing is not just for them. Because what does Moses say? And, so, and we see, this is, a, this is that kind of great commission going beyond yourself, even supplanted in the Old Testament. Because look what Moses says will happen if you will keep and do these things. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of peoples 
who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? For over a year now, we've had this strategy of reaching your one, right? When we talk about reaching your one, this is what we're talking about. This is one of the prime examples that when you go out into your organic spheres of influence, your classrooms, your study groups, your jobs, the, the, the social circles that you hang in, in the sports and the events that you do, when you go out in there, when you listen to the Word of God and you do the Word of God, it is going to come off really weird to people. That's why the Bible calls us aliens and strangers, all right? We need to get over this thing of trying to always fit in and be cool to culture. You are supposed to be weird, all right? Like, I, I can't find anywhere in Scripture that's like where Jesus is like, no, do this so you can be one of the cool kids, right? No, it's like, no, you are going to stand out. You are going to stick out. And, and that's why you're going to hear people say, you guys believe this? You guys do that? Like, this is really weird. I just, you're going to find a lot of people getting upset. But not everyone is going to get upset with you. There are going to be enough people, and I, I like this word, who find you peculiar. They're going to go, huh. Like, that's kind of weird. Like, one of my favorite stories, that conversion stories that I read about a year ago was a lady who was an MIT scientist, brilliant, world-renowned scientist. And she was an atheist for all the logical reasons. But yet somebody started quoting Proverbs from the Scripture to her. And she goes, oh, those are really good. And the more she started reading Proverbs, it was actually the book of Proverbs that converted her to Christianity. When's the last time you used the book of Proverbs as your evangelistic technique? But yet now she is the super evangelistic on fire for Jesus lady. It's not just our apologetic. The, the, the world is dying for wisdom. I mean, the world needs wisdom. We all need wisdom. And what, the wisdom we need is God's wisdom. God's been around a long time. He created this whole system. I mean, it is amazing the wisdom that we find in the Word of God. And we so desperately need it. And if you will live wisely and speak wisely in front of your peer group, you will see them go, hey, come, come explain this to me. Because the, 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 the one good thing about the world getting crazier and crazier is that people actually start to realize how crazy it is. Right? I mean, people will continue to go their own way, but some people will go, like, this just isn't right. And they're going to see how you live. And it's like, you know, all my friends complain. But yet, the Scripture instructs us to be thankful in all things. So what does it look like if we never complain, but are giving thanks to even our hardships? You don't think that's weird to people? You don't think that's peculiar? Man, this guy is, he even celebrates in his trials. Because he's confident enough in God that God is bringing this into his life to conform him to the image of Jesus. I think that's peculiar and it stands out. Who, who, who has a God like this that is so near? Right? I mean, we can give all of these examples in our lives where people would be 
drawn to us. What about fear? I mean, the world is crazy with fear right now. Are you giving off fear? Or is your fear only in God Himself? This is why what we say and what we do really matters. Because the Bible says don't fear anything but God itself and God Himself. So if you're afraid and you're fearing any coming economic collapse, if you're afraid and fearing any sickness or disease or death, your fear is not in the right place. And therefore, it's not the testimony that it should be to the world around us. Because if you didn't have any fear, and all you feared was God itself, you would stand out as a peculiar person. And people would go, man, that's kind of weird. But I think I might like that kind of weird. Tell me about this kind of weird. And you get an opportunity to share. And this is why we must listen and do the Word of God. I can tell you not to fear all day long. But until you actually say, I am only going to fear God Himself and not any man who can only destroy my body, we lessen our testimony to the world around us. Moses says, you need to know all of these teachings are not just for you. They are also for your children and to your grandchildren. One of the things that I hope and I pray for us as a church is that we would always think two generations down the road. I pray that as you are making decisions about your life today, as you are thinking about the homes you will buy and the jobs that you will take, that you will understand your primary role if you choose to get married and to bring children into this world is to instruct them into the, into the ways of God. And that doesn't mean offloading that to some church to do it for you. You are responsible. Fellas especially, pastor, protector, provider. That's what God calls you to be in your home. He has laid that squarely on you. Ladies, you are a great part of that calling. But because knowing that 90% of you will have children, you need to be thinking generations out in the decisions that you make. Because this gospel is not just for you. It is for the generations to come as well. It's why I regularly pray that throughout the generations, there would be no one who comes from my line that is not a follower of Jesus. As far as that line goes, that is a prayer that I am continually praying. That all the men and women, my four children and all their children, will continue to be faithful to this Word of God, to listen and to do the Word of God. So I will close with this, is that the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have not listened as we should, and we have not done as we should. And this is the incredible grace and mercy of God to us. And I pray that each and every person in this room today would, would listen to that and would do something about it. That if you are a follower of Jesus, as we get ready to take communion in a moment and band, if you want to go ahead and come on up. And if you'll notice today, communion is going to be up here, not in the back as it has been. I just... I just want you to, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you can go ahead and kill the lights uh, when you come on. Uh, yeah, thanks. Um, 
if you're a believer, I, I, I want you to do this. I, I want you to, as you listen and do it, I want you to think about the sacrifice of Jesus and just be honest. And just like, God, just thank you for this reminder. Because one of the most powerful things in Scripture is remember, remember, remember. Just remember that you have not listened and you have not done as God has told you to do. But yet, there was one who listened to the Father. And there's one who did exactly what the Father asked of him to come. The Son took on flesh and lived a sinless life, and He lived the life that we should have lived, and He then died the death that we should have died, so that we could be purchased by His blood. So that His body could be broken for our sin. He stepped out of the throne room of heaven to redeem, to reconcile, and to rescue the children of God. Be thankful. Spend some time being thankful. And if there's any sin in there that you know, as you heard today, you're like, yep. Uh, I'm not even listening, God. Like, forget doing. I'm not even listening. Confess it. If there's something you know you've been listening to and you're like, no, God, I have been obstinate and stubborn. Confess it. Repent of it into your heart and walk into it. But let me say to you who are not yet followers of Jesus, we are a a people broken and scarred and wounded and stained and shattered that God has made clean by His blood, by the blood of His Son. And that invitation is for you as well. You cannot do anything to cross that threshold from death to life. The only thing you can do is cry out to God for mercy and ask Him for the gift of faith. And we pray with you that in God's grace, as the testimony of His Word is true, that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That as you are here today, that you would cry out to God and you would admit your own failure. You admit that you know that only Jesus can save. And that you would put your faith in that work, in the work of Christ Himself, as the perfect substitutionary atonement for your sin. And the Bible says, if you will confess your sin, and you will believe in your heart, then you, without a doubt, will be saved and become a child of God. If you are a child of God this morning, and you would like to take communion, uh, the elements are here. You can come up whenever you would like in the next song and take them and go to your seat. You can pray with those around you if you would like. But take this moment to remember and to reflect and to rejoice. Have your heart revived in the sacrifice of Christ that was made for you.